President Biden has halted funding for UNRWA, the UN Agency for Gaza Refugees. It should be called the UN Agency for Terror. Biden has suspended the funding after it was exposed that UNRWA was complicit in the Hamas terror attack. UNRWA was involved in the Hamas terror attack. UNRWA is a wing of Hamas, which we have known forever. You know who already stopped funding for UNRWA? That would be President Trump, along with Nikki Haley when she was ambassador to the UN. But of course, Biden restored funding to UNRWA, just like Biden removed the terror label from the Houthis. He did it in order to pander to Iran. Biden is an accomplice to terror, plain and simple. Hamas never could have carried out the attack without billions of dollars funded by President Biden. I don't know how anybody can deny it. Anyone who can, can, can pretend that Biden is somehow a friend of Israel. And by the way, even now, the only reason Biden, well, he was forced. He didn't want to defund UNRWA. He resisted this for months, but he had no choice because Israel literally brought out proof that UNRWA was involved in the terror attack. Twelve UNRWA employees. And UNRWA admitted it. They basically admitted it. They fired those employees. So that was exposed. And then Biden simply had no choice once UNRWA caved in. All right, coming up, I'm going to explain why I'm more convinced now than ever that Joe Biden will not be the Democrat nominee. I am not backing down. I'm going to explain. McConnell has withdrawn. Mitch McConnell, thankfully, has withdrawn his support for the border deal, the border package, the bipartisan border deal. You notice how it, whenever it's bipartisan, it's always like all the Democrats and like a few moderate Republicans. It's, it's never bipartisan in the other direction. What does that tell you? So McConnell says the politics has changed since he first agree, agreed to this deal, this secret deal that he made with Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. The politics has changed. That's another, another way of McConnell saying, well, the details were leaked and it turns out now everybody knows that it's a terrible deal and everybody's discovered that I'm a sellout. The politics have changed. Trump, of course, slammed this border deal. Mike Johnson slammed the border deal. And then Ted Cruz and a bunch of conservatives in the Senate held a press conference this week uh, slamming this deal. So, boom, now the deal is suddenly dead. The politics have changed. Anytime the deal is a secret, here's a little here's a little secret for you. Anytime the deal is kept secret, it's not because Chuck Schumer is caving into the Republicans. They, they keep the deal a secret because it always hides the fact that somehow Republicans and people like Mitch McConnell moderates are caving in to the Democrats. All right. So by by the way, Biden says that he's going to shut down the border. Biden says he's going to shut down the border as soon as they pass this bill. He says, pass this bill and then I'll shut down the border, which, of course, is absurd and it's disgraceful. And by the way, you know, this whole thing was about we'll get to this, but the whole thing was about being able to blame the House Republicans. They knew it was never going to pass the House. Nobody thinks this border package is actually going to pass. It's a terrible, terrible package, which only encourages even more illegals to come in. So the whole plan was, oh, we'll pass it in the Senate. Biden says, I support it. And then all oh, those House Republicans, it's the Republicans for it and fault. And then they can go continue trying to blame the border crisis on the Republicans, which is what they've been doing. All right. Coming up, we'll bring you the latest. Speaking of the border on the standoff between Texas and President Biden. Texas, by the way, is abiding by the law. 100 percent. Texas is not defying the Supreme Court, as the media is claiming. So we'll explain that coming up. All right. Nikki Haley is under enormous pressure to drop out of the Republican primary race. And look, Nikki, I mean, she's Nikki Haley has become the most unpopular person in the Republican Party. She's like uh, more unpopular than Liz Cheney. And the reason is because this whole thing is over. This is not a two person race like they keep telling us. It's a one person race. It has been from the start. And you know, it, she's just going to be embarrassed in South Carolina. And people are saying, listen, it's time to unify the party. Even the RNC, the RNC is actually they want to just avoid. They want to circumvent the whole primary process and they want to make Trump 
Trump the nominee already because everybody recognizes that at this point, Nikki Haley is just embarrassing the party and she has no chance. And whether you think Trump is electable or not, he's the nominee and uh, it's undeniable at this point. So here, look, here's the deal. It's very simple. Nikki Haley, she's going to drop out as soon as donors stop giving her money. Okay, this is all about she wants to raise as much money as possible. It's not about this year because clearly that's not that's not happening. And uh, I don't even think Nikki Haley's delusional enough to believe that Trump would ever pick her as the nominee. This is all about 2028. And she may actually very well be the front runner in 2028. But it's time for her to step aside. Senior Trump advisor Peter Navarro has been sentenced to four months in prison. You know, Peter Navarro's crime. He did not show up to Congress. He defied a congressional subpoena. He was subpoenaed for the January 6th hearings. And he did not show up, and he has now been sentenced to four months in jail, although he is appealing it, so he's still out. Does this sound familiar? Okay, defying a congressional subpoena, and Navarro, of course, was held in contempt of Congress. Well, that's the exact same thing that Hunter Biden did, only Hunter Biden, of course, is walking free and getting a pass, but they did the exact same thing. Navarro could be going to jail, but there is no two-tier system of justice, right? We're just a bunch of conspiracy theorists. All right, so a caller said uh, that uh, Trump, caller's been actually leaving me several messages. He says, why don't you respond to my messages? And honestly, I, 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 I cannot respond to every single, you see, I try my best. I really respond to a lot of the voicemails I get and a lot of emails, but I simply can't get to all of them. The caller says to me, are you trying to avoid my question? Are you trying to shy away from my question? And the answer is no, I am not. And there's very few, if any questions that I ever try to avoid or dodge or shy away from. Sorry that I didn't get to it. But then this caller got angry and essentially in a nice way, if in a respectful way, not angry, but the caller said, how many times I have to leave you this message? Trump did not drain the swamp. This is the caller's point is Trump did not drain the swamp. So uh, isn't that a tarnish? Isn't that a blemish on Trump's track record that he's supposed to be the man who was going to drain the swamp? That was like his big slogan is drain the swamp. And yet who who exactly, you know, and, and, and I guess when Trump is asked about it, he usually talks about how he fired James Comey. And yes, Trump, James Comey was a card carrying member of the swamp and Trump fired him early on, led to all sorts of issues and controversies. Trump was correct to, to fire James Comey. By the way, Hillary Clinton and all the Democrats couldn't stand James Comey because of what he did to Hillary in, in, in 2016. And then suddenly after Trump fired James Comey, James Comey is this wonderful person and how dare Trump fire him. But either way, that's the caller's issue is why do I not criticize Trump for not doing enough to drain the swamp? A hundred percent correct. It's a valid look. Trump did a lot. And, and remember Trump, he was persecuted. He had the Russia witch hunt and Trump was impeached. And then, you know, Trump fought for the things that were very crucial, like the border, like Iran, like the economy, cutting taxes. There was so much going on. Remember moving the embassy. So like even, even Trump, who, you know, is extremely resilient. There's a limit to how much he can do if he would have drained. And I'm not defending you. Oh, you're defending him. He, he, he should have drained the swamp. He should have gotten rid of half the DOJ. He should have gotten rid, rid of all these bureaucrats. Why didn't he get rid of Fauci? Look at look at Fauci, who's a member of the swamp, who was who, who, who was a disaster on COVID. All fair points. Yes, Trump could have done more. Trump hired. He appointed A.G. Barr. He could have found somebody who was even more. You know, he could. What about Ted Cruz? Did he ask Ted Cruz if he wanted the job of AG? But whatever. You know, we can debate uh, whether Trump did enough to drain the swamp. I I concede that he probably did not. I think he'll do a lot more to drain the swamp in you know if he gets reelected this year. But that's a fair point. It's a fair point. I'm not going to defend it. You know, there were not a lot of swamp members that Trump actually got rid of. He could have done more. And and a lot of the indictments and a lot of the suffering that he's going through right now is because. He left people in place there that then turned around and hurt him, even though Biden would have reappointed a lot of those people. But still, that would have been harder for Biden to do. It certainly would have been, you know, if he had cleansed Washington, D.C. and the swamp more, 
fair point. That would have been better. I don't know exactly why he did not do that, because it doesn't seem like Trump exactly is afraid of what the media and what the Democrats are going to say about him. I guess here, even a lot of Republicans would have revolted if he went, although Reagan did it, right? Reagan, what, there was a there was an air traffic controller strike on, under Reagan. Everybody thought that Reagan would cave in. Reagan said, you're, you're all fired. Anyone going on strike, you're endangering the country, and you're fired, and he fired them. And that was, by the way, very controversial at the time. And, of course, it was a good move. So, you know, and it turned out uh, just fine. So, fair point. I'm not shying away, and I agree. I still think that he's the best, the most qualified candidate based on his track record and based on all the positives. And, by the way, he's a nominee, so it doesn't really matter what we think about this. But, yes, fair point. Uh, another caller said, a caller asked me for a shout-out. And, you know, we're, uh, we'll do the shout-out, but I'm not a big shout-out person. But uh, a caller said... He, he, you know, he made two points about uh, the Houthis. I only mentioned one of them. So the caller said, mention my second point. So fine, no problem. The first point was what we told you, that Biden only restored the Houthi label, the lower tier, not the higher tier. So the sanctions are not as strong. But number two, the sanctions only take effect after 30 days. And so the caller said, it's not even like the sanctions on the Houthis take start now. The label, the, the, the terror label, I guess, only it takes effect after 30 days of the announcement. And the caller said, and please give me a shout out. So here's the shout out. The, the shout out is this caller actually leaves me a lot of messages. And, you know, a lot of times I get to kind of know the person on the phone uh, based on, you know, various different factors that I can tell who they are, not their name, but I can tell, you know, that it's the same caller as before. So uh, this caller leaves me messages. Uh, it sounds like this caller is actually in a dorm in a yeshiva, although I'm not 100 percent certain about that. But he leaves me a lot of messages, very positive messages, very thoughtful messages. So I do appreciate that. And he says that uh, after 30 days, which look to me, you know, it's, it's like, how can you do that? I mean, we need to we need to defund them right now. We need to sanction them right now because they are causing havoc over there in the Red Sea. It's a, it's, it's a nightmare scenario. And the only thing I would say is 30 days, like for Biden, 30 days in Washington, D.C., that's super fast compared to like what it could have been, you know, so uh, 30 days. And, and, I, and I'm, I mean that tongue in cheek. I don't really mean that seriously. It's, it's a good point that the caller is making. Another caller specifically said, I don't remember what this caller's point was, but the caller said he made some kind of point, And then he said, and do not give me a shout out. So here goes. I am not giving you a shout out. That caller, I don't remember what your point was, but I appreciate your call, your message. And you do not get a shout out. Here is your non shout out. All right. So we got to talk about Israel. Probably don't spend enough time on it, but there's so much to get to. And here's what's so upsetting. And it's just so frustrating. And we could go on about this. You know, we could talk for hours on end about this every day. But the calls for a ceasefire now are growing. They're out of control, the demand for a ceasefire. And now there's more pressure than ever for a two-state solution. Literally, there is more pressure right now and more talk about a two-state solution than I've seen at any point in the last 10 to 20 years. And you know why that's so incredibly outrageous is because how does that make any sense? You have this Hamas territory. There is less reason right now. There is zero justification right now, obviously. What I'm going to say right now to a lot of you is obvious. But I'm just pointing it out. A two-state solution, it was dead on October 6th. After October 7th, the two-state solution should be the deadest thing imaginable. There, 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 there is absolutely zero logic, zero basis for anybody to bring up two-state solution. It was dead on October 6th. So now Hamas carries out a terror attack. Now Hamas shows that they're an evil terror group that should be totally eliminated. And now that's reason to call for a two-state solution. Does that make any sense whatsoever? It was dead. Trump killed the two-state solution. He killed it. He did such a phenomenal job. The Saudis gave up on the two-state solution. Qatar, the Emirates, nobody cared. Nobody cared about the Palestinians. And that's part of why Hamas did this, because they needed to become relevant again, because Trump totally crushed them. We kept saying that over and over again. Trump, he destroyed the Palestinian cause. 
So now a terror attack is supposed to make them destroyed even more, but that's not how it goes. Somehow this terror attack now has made Hamas more relevant, has actually increased the demand for a two-state solution. It's insane. It makes no sense. This should just, you should just eradicate. The Palestinians should just be sent to some desert somewhere and go fend for themselves because you don't have a right to anything. You don't even have a right to live there, let alone a two-state solution, let alone self-governance. But the pressure has gone up. It's backward. It's irrational. They commit atrocities. That should make them, the whole conversation, moot, and it's stronger than ever. And and so that's the strategy. The strategy is it's a very, very horrific strategy and an effective strategy. What happened was when Hamas was not dangerous, when Hamas was not a threat, Trump totally marginalized them. And there was no there was no pressure for a two state solution. Nobody was even discussing it. It was a joke. The the Palestinian cause is irrelevant. Nobody cares. You had the Abraham Accords. You had Israel cutting these diplomatic deals, relations with all these countries, all these Arab countries who it used to be. We're not going to have a deal with Israel unless the Palestinian people are involved, unless Israel commits a two state solution. And that was shoved totally aside. All right, we'll make a deal with Israel. No problem. Trump and Kushner. They totally, totally change the landscape. So now what does Hamas do? Hamas carries out this attack, and now Israel fights back. Israel is fighting back in self-defense. Hamas forced a response, so that turns Israel into the aggressor. This is 100% self-defense, and yet Israel is accused of being an aggressor. Israel is now accused of genocide. We We live in a world where they look at the victim. It doesn't matter that the victim is a massive threat. And that the victim is, you know, poses a huge danger and the victim is the one that's pro-genocide and from the river to the sea and all that. None of that matters because now Israel is the aggressor and Hamas and Gaza are the victims. That's the strategy. It's horrific. It's, it's an, it, it makes no sense logically, but it works. It's an effective strategy. And you see it. I'm hearing these calls for a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire. I'm hearing all this talk about Israel. I mean, really, really, they're, they're demonizing Israel like I can't, you cannot imagine. I hear all this talk about a two-state solution, which was not happening October 6th. Nobody mentioned it. It had not been brought up in years. It was dead. All right. The Biden campaign has released new merchandise. They have T-shirts which say, together we will defeat Trump again. Let me just say this to the Biden campaign. Nobody cares about your T-shirts. Nobody cares about catchy slogans. Not that it's even a good slogan. It's a it's a negative slogan. It's a pathetic slogan. It's a bad slogan. Not an effective slogan. Together we will defeat Trump again. Get a little creative. But people care about the price of gas. People care about the economy. People care about the fact that their paycheck right now is worth about two-thirds of what it was worth under Trump. The economy is a disaster. The border's a mess, as we know. The world's on fire. Crime is rampant. Oh, you know, and the president doesn't know his own. You know, people are going to say, like, yeah, you know what? Crime's out of control. The economy's a mess. Inflation's out of control. The border, Iran, the the you know, the, uh, the Red Sea, the Houthis. The president literally doesn't know his own name. But look at this cool T-shirt. Wow, this is an amazing T-shirt. We're going to defeat Trump again. Oh, wow, I'm voting for Biden. But and can and can we just get a little creative? Well, see, all they know is Trump bashing. They literally forgetting the fact that like what, what's Biden supposed to say? Vote for me. The economy is in shambles. But here's the thing. It, Trump bashing is not a strategy, even though a lot of people dislike Trump. People want hope. They want something positive. Trump is very creative. Trump, his slogans are very inspiring for the most part. I know there's some negativity there with drain the swamp and lock her up. But that's all that is kind of like that's the entertainment side. But Trump taps in, taps into the make America great again and America first. Trump, he taps into people's emotions like very few politicians I've ever seen. The Biden strategy is tap into the hatred of Trump. That's that's just generally not a winning strategy now. They might rig the election. And number one, I said Biden may not be the nominee, and we'll get to that shortly. But um, there's strong evidence to that effect, as we'll explain. But if they're planning to just steal the votes and rig the election, 
and use mail-in ballots to commit mass fraud, that strategy may work. You know, so um, I- I'm not saying that they cannot win. I'm saying they cannot win in a legitimate way. They can cheat. They cheated last time. And, well, you can debate, well, were there enough votes? Were there not, you know, I mean, Biden was in the basement and people stayed home because of COVID and he got an, an insane amount of votes. So you draw whatever conclusion you want. And now there's enormous evidence and 2,000 mules and everything else. So that part, I don't know about that part. But as far as the T-shirts, I mean, give me a break. Now, a caller keeps, a different caller keeps asking me, what's the game plan over here? You know, you, know, you could talk about Trump and his strategy and all that and his popularity. But what about the cheating. What about the rigging, the election rigging and the mail-in ballots and all the fraud? What's Trump's strategy about that? I don't know. It's a good question. I, I don't know the answer, but I, I, you know, we know that Trump knows all about election rigging and election fraud and mail-in ballots. So I'd like to believe that there's a strategy being worked on and that they're not going to announce it and divulge it. They're going to keep it very secret. But does it get me nervous? Oh, it gets me extremely nervous. All right. So here's why I'm not backing down on my prediction about Biden being the nominee. I'm, and, and I'm going on record two predictions. Number one, Biden is not going to be the nominee. Number, number two, Ron DeSantis will not be Trump's running mate, will not be Trump's VP. I'm pretty certain of that. I don't know who will be. I, we've suggested Lee Zeldin, you know, Elise Stefanik. There's a few people. I think Kevin McCarthy is not out of the question. I think Tim Scott might be an option. By the way, uh, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, who got who basically was considering toying with running, decided not to run. I'm sure Trump appreciated that. Mike Pompeo was a big Trump loyalist. He has been from the beginning. He's never wavered at all, not even January 6th. Mike Pompeo you know, was, was is an amazing, staunch supporter. He's an of Israel, you could argue, a big, really staunch supporter of Israel. And uh, Pompeo is positioned very well to be a Trump running mate. He certainly would be a big part of Trump's cabinet. But that would be an amazing ticket to me, Trump and Pompeo. But um, and I don't think, that, you know, but I don't think it's going to be DeSantis. But here's this story with with Biden. Here's the latest on Biden. Obama is secretly telling Joe Biden, Barack Obama is secretly telling Joe Biden to step aside. This is a bombshell story. And, you know, it's not confirmed, but this is according to inside sources that Obama has advised Biden to quit in order to save the country and to save the Democrat Party. And if Obama and we told you about there are many, many reports that Obama's pulling the strings. I don't think there's even a question. And Obama, if he's the one who gets Biden to step down and look, I'm sure the resistance coming from Jill Biden. I don't think Joe Biden, again, really understands anything that's going on. But Jill Biden does. And she wants she likes being in the White House, especially since they're never there. They're always on the beach. But uh, but Jill Biden, you know, but Obama's pressuring Joe Biden. And if that happens, then I think Michelle is likely going to be the nominee. And that's what this report says. This is according to a report from Radar Online. And this is according to a New York Post columnist. Uh, Obama has advised Biden to quit the race. Quote, insiders snitched that tensions between the two presidents recently exploded after irate Obama rushed to a secret meeting and confronted Biden about his fading chances to fend off the surging Donald Trump uh, in November. And it, listen to the, what the Radar Online report says. It says, incredibly, Joe seems almost oblivious to the lack of excitement about his campaign and cratering approval ratings. End quote. That's a report from Radar. Uh, incredibly, Joe seems oblivious. Joe seems oblivious because Joe is oblivious. It's very sad because he's supposed to be the leader of the free world. But yes, Joe Biden is quite oblivious to what he ate for breakfast that day. I mean, it's just a sad reality. So I'm not sure why you're so surprised. But here, recent, recent polls show just 38% of Americans approve of Biden's performance. 58% hold a negative opinion. Meanwhile, Trump has grabbed the lead in some national polls. Trump is surging in a lot of polls. Now, look, the polls, you look at some and some have Biden 
leading, especially if you look state by state. Most of them have Trump being beating Biden in a head to head, but it doesn't matter. It's it's not about the numbers as much as about the trends. You have to follow the month to month trend. And also, you know, we're in January and, and a lot can change, hopefully for the better, but a lot can change in either direction. So I don't I don't put too much stock in these polls. We've seen these polls get it wrong so many times. But here's what's interesting. An insider said, quote, the Obamas are convinced that Joe has lost his grip. He looks more feeble and clueless every day, and they know he has lost the confidence of the public. In addition, uh, the Lloyd Austin fiasco, the scandal involving Lloyd Austin, which Biden was, again, very funny. Biden was unaware of Lloyd Austin's absence for days. Biden's unaware that Lloyd Austin is the name of his own defense secretary. That's actually a fact. He actually forgot Lloyd Austin's name. So Biden, the fact that he's unaware that Austin disappeared, if you ask Joe Biden, who's Lloyd Austin, he'll say, isn't he the guy who parks the car when, uh, you know, when we, when the valet parker, when we go to the, uh, when we go out to dinner. So uh, Biden is very upset. Obama's very upset at Biden. Meanwhile, the New York Post columnist Cindy Adams, she says that Barack Barack and Michelle Obama have already started reaching out to high end donors and asking them for donations. Columnist Cindy Adams says the Obama team has sent a survey. All right. They're not asking for donations yet, but they're close. A survey to heavy duty Democrat donors asking how they would feel about Michelle Obama as the candidate. So she predicts that around May, Biden will announce that he's stepping out and then Michelle Obama may get nominated in August. Now, I could predict I could see I could envision uh, a ticket, a Democrat ticket with Michelle Obama and her running mate be Gavin Newsom. Uh, and they'll, they'll ask Gavin Newsom, well, didn't you say on the debate with Hannity and DeSantis, didn't you say, well, I'm not planning to run. I'm not going to run. I, I, I'm remaining governor of the state of California. And that happens frequently. Well, they'll say, I'm not running. And then they d- decide to run. That's what politicians do. And then they're going to say, but didn't you say you weren't going to run? He's going to say, well, but the people have begged. This is something I, I need to do this for the people. The people have uh, have spoken and they're begging me. They're, they're 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 pulling me in. So there's nothing I can do. I can't help it. This wasn't my game plan. That's what they always say. But either way, I, I could see that or maybe Newsom. Uh, maybe there's a fight, which could be a lot of fun between Newsom and Michelle Obama. And maybe we don't know who's going to be. Maybe they both try to become the nominee. So we'll have to wait and see. It certainly would be a very, uh, very riveting scenario if Biden steps down and they don't know who the nominee is and there's no primary. So they have to select somebody at the convention. That has not happened in a long time. That sort of thing used to happen. And that could cause a big fight within the Democrat Party. But again, Michelle Obama scares me as a candidate. Gavin Newsom scares me as a candidate. All right. So the United States, as I said, they're suspending. By the way, they're not permanently ending the funding, which is itself a disgrace, but they're suspending, halting funding to UNRWA, the U.N. Relief and Works Agency, which is what uh, the, the, it's the U.N. agency that oversees the Palestinians and the refugees and all of that. They've been uh, in charge over there for 80 years. And there's evidence that 12 UNRWA employees were involved in the Hamas massacre. The State Department announcement that it's halting funding came minutes after UNRWA said that it was firing those employees. So you cannot have a bigger concession and confession and admission of guilt than that. Israel provided information to the agency, evidence detailing their connection to these 12 employees to the horrific terror attacks. So there's no way to sugarcoat this. Biden gives billions and billions of dollars to terrorists. Biden funded the terrorism that led it led to all these attacks, but especially this horrific attack. Biden's complicit. He doesn't just enable it. He's complicit. Okay, and I don't know why people sugarcoat this. Trump stopped the money, stopped the funding. All Biden needed to do was keep that policy in place. 
Trump put up, put all these sanctions on Iran. He crushed Iran with all these sanctions. All Biden needed to do was keep the sanctions in place. He lifted the sanctions. Why? Because he was desperate, desperate to get Iran to the negotiating table so they could cut some sort of deal. All Iran has done was stalled and stalled and not agreed to anything, continued to develop nukes, and Biden has given them billions and got nothing in return. Same thing with the Houthi rebels and on and on and on. By the way, the Biden administration has halted the approval of new licenses to export liquefied natural gas, to export American liquefied natural gas. They are not giving out new licenses, just like Biden did with the oil drilling. Again, something that Trump had set done so well, uh, allow all this drilling for oil, made, made the United States the number one exporter. Uh, the, he made Under Trump, the United States became the number one exporter of oil. And it hurt Putin and it hurt uh, the Saudis and it hurt a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, the Arab countries, and it helped America's economy immensely. And Biden stopped it. He stopped giving out licenses. He, 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 he uh, decreased a lot of the drilling. Now he has halted the approval of new licenses to export liquefied natural gas. Why? Because the administration wants to scrutinize and examine how these shipments affect climate change and national security. And the economy, by the way, the economy, they don't affect the economy negatively at all, obviously. But how is this going to impact climate change and national security? So, by the way, this is going to cost thousands of jobs, in addition to the fact that it's going to help Putin and it's going to help the people who uh, export natural gas, our enemies. But this is going to cost thousands of jobs. And again, obviously, it's going to going to hurt the economy because how could it not? And why is he doing it? Because we need to investigate the, the impact on climate change. That's not how this works, that you have an industry, a thriving industry, and, and when the economy is so bad and, and you need it so badly, and you have this thriving industry, which is so beneficial economically, but let me investigate, and, and I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop, at least stop giving out new licenses while we investigate the impact on climate change. That's not how this works, and we know the agenda. But the way it works is, first, first of all, what have you been waiting for? Why have you not investigated its impact on climate change? You've been in office for three years. And you first you investigate. And then if you determine that it's damaging to the climate, then at that point you decide what the next step is. But you don't halt it first while you're doing the the investiga- investigating, obviously. All right. So Peter Navarro has he was a big Trump advisor on, on you know, on trade and uh, negotiating trade deals, tariff deals, et cetera. Top, a big economic advisor. Peter Navarro has been sentenced to four months in prison. He's out on appeal. And his crime is he defied a congressional subpoena. He was held in contempt of Congress. He did exactly what Hunter Biden did. You know, by the way, maybe I have some advice for Peter Navarro. Maybe agree to appear now. It seems that as long as later on you agree to comply with the subpoena, then they they, they, they toss out the charges. That's what they're doing with Hunter. So maybe you should call up Congress and say, oh, right, you know what, I'll appear after all. But uh, that solves your problem. Meanwhile, Navarro was subpoenaed to appear before the January, the bogus January 6th committee for a deposition in March of 2022. He was ordered to provide documents. He did not do either one. He was held in contempt of Congress. The DOJ charged Navarro. It never happens. By the way, Eric Holder was, was held in contempt of Congress. He totally stonewalled and obstructed justice when it came to the Fast and Furious scandal. And Eric Holder, attorney general under Obama, I think the first attorney general ever to be held in contempt of Congress, uh, defying congressional subpoenas on a real scandal, by the way, not a fake one like January 6th. And Eric Holder, of course, was not held in contempt. Uh, was, uh, was, well, he was held in contempt of Congress, I should as I said, but he was never charged with any federal crime or any crime, of course, never indicted. Only Republicans uh, get indicted for this. Uh, Navarro, he was tough on China. He, by the way, he's the one, when Fauci said... Do not impose a travel ban. Let Chinese people continue to come in, even though COVID is spreading out of control. Navarro said to Trump, uh, you better stop the Chinese from coming in because they're bringing COVID. 
He gets no credit for that. And, um, and, and Navarro was right repeatedly. He was very pro the tariffs against China. Navarro is, and he was right about COVID again and again. And of course, that's why he's so detested. That's why he's considered such a threat. So this is a disgrace. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden defied the subpoena to appear before the House Oversight Committee. Then he staged uh, Hunter Biden, Peter Navarro. He did it low key. Okay. He just, he railed against it on the news because he said, this is ridiculous. This whole January 6th thing is just fabricated. But, and he, and he refused to comply. And good, good for him, I think. But Hunter Biden, who, by the way, is guilty of many, many, many crimes, allegedly, um, uh, is a much, much more corrupt person. Peter Navarro is not corrupt at all. I don't even like saying two-tiered system of justice, as I've said before, because that implies, well, they're both bad, but one of them gets away with it, one of them doesn't. It's much, much worse than a two-tiered system of justice is they're both equal. They're both, they're both corrupt. One of them gets, uh, consequences. The other one doesn't. Here's the opposite. Navarro, has done nothing wrong, committed no crimes, is not corrupt, has not cheated on his taxes, okay, has not lied on federal gun licenses, has not, you know, has, hasn't gotten millions from far, foreign enemies and and then lied about it. So, so Navarro is actually Scott Clean. He's done nothing wrong. I mean, the man has done absolutely nothing wrong and he gets uh, sentenced to prison because he's a cohort of Trump's. And Hunter Biden, who's literally one of the most corrupt men on the planet, it gets a pass after pass after pass. He staged a press conference at the Capitol on the day that he was ordered to appear there. I mean, it's a total circus. And then, and then, of course, he sat there while they were doing the hearings to hold him in contempt. The man is, you know, he he mocks them. He makes a mockery of the Republicans, unlike Navarro. Kimberly Guilfoyle, a Republican analyst, she summed up this comparison in a post on Twitter. She said, quote, what an absolute disgrace. Peter Navarro sentenced to prison for refusing to play along with the Democrats' illegitimate sham January 6th circus, while Hunter Biden defies the subpoena, mocks the entire process, gets to stroll through Capitol Hill. Justice is dead, end quote. She said it very well. Maybe she listens to the show. I don't know. Um, like I said, Republicans then moved to hold Hunter in contempt. He crashed the hearing, and they rewarded him by canceling the contempt hearings altogether after he agreed to sit for a private deposition at the end of February after defying it for months. Again, you know, you, he, well, months later, he decided to agree. It doesn't work that way. He defied it for months, made a mockery of the whole thing. All right, uh, here's the latest on the border standoff between Texas and the Biden administration. The Texas National Guard took control of Shelby Park. What happened was CBP agents have been cutting through the razor wire, um, right? And, and essentially, the Supreme Court said that they have the right to do that. The Supreme Court didn't really say anything. They vacated a lower court judgment, which 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 uh, prevented the CBP from cutting the razor wire. So, in effect, uh, it's kind of like de facto that allows CBP to cut through the razor wire. But Texas, what they've been doing is they've been adding razor wire. They basically, the Biden administration and 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 uh, DHS and, and CBP, they've been telling Texas, they said, listen, stand down. We want access to this park, and 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 stop erecting more razor wire. And Texas says. The Supreme Court never told us to erect more razor, uh, not, not to put up more razor wire. All they said was, we cannot stop you from cutting it. You want to cut it, go ahead and cut it. But we're still in control here. The, the court never told us not. And we're still allowed to put up more razor wire. And Texas is 100 percent justified. And now 25 Republican governors have signed a letter saying that they support Texas. So there's a huge standoff here. The Biden administration demanded that the Texas National Guard give Border Patrol complete access to Shelby Park by Friday, which was yesterday. And Governor Abbott refused to do that. And uh, I guess that I guess Biden then threatened to uh, federalize the National Guard, the Texas National Guard, which would cause a huge, huge standoff because, you know, that would that, that could get ugly because the Texas National Guard, they do not want to give in or be controlled by Biden. 
These are Texans, okay? And they know that they're being invaded. And they know that Biden's the reason why. So, meanwhile, it doesn't appear that Biden followed through with his threat from what I'm seeing. But, 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 but a lot of people are saying, oh, Texas, they're defying the Supreme Court. They're going against the ruling. How could they do that? And I'm going to explain it. Jonathan Turley said it well. We'll read you some of his article. But Texas is not doing anything to defy the Supreme Court. Don't buy into that false, bogus narrative because all the Supreme Court, it was one isolated issue was the, the, the feds by the Biden administration, CBP, they want to cut through the razor wire. Texas is stopping them from cutting through the razor wire. And the court vacated a lower court decision. The lower court said that the, that the federal um, agents do not have a right to cut the razor wire. And the Supreme Court said, no, we're vacating that ruling, sending it back to the courts. Essentially, that allows them to cut through the razor wire. Texas is not preventing them from cutting through. They just keep on putting up more good for them, and they're going to keep putting it up. And they're just saying, we're not going to let CBP take over this area because then they allow the invaders in, and we are preventing the invaders. Texas Governor Abbott defended the decision to defend his borders. Quote, half of America, he put this out in a tweet, half of America joins, te- or, or an X, half of America joins Texas in asserting our constitutional right of self-defense under Article 1, Section 10, stemming from Joe Biden's refusal to enforce immigration laws. His actions have caused an unprecedented invasion that we must defend against. So there, end quote. So there you go. Abbott is um, invoking Trump's terminology of invasion and good for him. Good for him. He's right. Um, here's a statement from 25 Republican governors. Quote, we stand in solidarity with our fellow governor, Greg Abbott, and the state of Texas in utilizing every tool and strategy, including razor wire fences to secure the border. Then they slammed Biden, quote, for refusing to enforce immigration laws already on the books and he's illegally allowing mass parole across America of migrants who entered our country illegally. And we're going to get to the parole issue in a second because the parole thing is insane. Biden is giving parole to millions of illegals, millions. They're giving them parole. He has absolutely no right to do that. Parole is basically a, a catch and release policy. So here's Andy McCarthy. I'm sorry, I said John the Turley. Andy McCarthy, they're both big Republican lawyers, but Andy McCarthy wrote this article, this op-ed, saying, quote, it's not Texas that's defying the law, it is Biden. Quote, there's a great deal of commentary accusing the state of Texas of defying the Supreme Court. In fact, the Supreme Court did not order Texas to do anything. It vacated an order by the Fifth Circuit that during the presidency of an ongoing, the, 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 I'm sorry, the pendency, ouch, of an ongoing lawsuit between the feds and the state. Can I read the word properly here? Wow. Uh, and the state barred federal authorities from cutting concertina wire, which is razor wire, that, in, that Texas installed in parts of its 1,254-mile border with Mexico. That is the Supreme Court, with no opinion and over the objection of four justices, who also did not write, held that for now the lower courts may not prevent the federal authorities from dismantling barriers. The Supreme Court action did not direct Texas to do anything. The court did not presume to tell Texas that it could not take action to prevent its territories and exclude intruders. And I want to, I'm just pausing for a second over here, and then I'll read you some more excerpts, but very important, the, the, the justices did not give any explanation. I may have mentioned this, they did not... Uh, give any sort of ruling. They just vacated the order. All they did was it was five to four vote vacating the order of the lower court. Lower court said you cannot, federal government cannot cut the razor wire and they vacated that order, which then by default means they can uh, cut through the razor wire, but they didn't give any explanation. So that's important here because it's not like they issued a ruling where you could get into any of their reasoning. It's just one tiny, tiny isolated. It's an important issue, fundamental, but it's very, very um, isolated. So back to this article, no court has presumed to tell Texas it may not erect more barriers. Texas can install, install more razor wire, even if the feds keep cutting it until there is some resolution. 
Uh, if we're going to talk about who's defying the law, that's easy. It's Biden. When it is said that the states must comply with federal law, that means statutory law, not the whims of the executive branch. Biden's policy is not federal law. Federal law, which the president refuses to faithfully execute, calls for detention. As I've explained before, Biden's actions are in gross violation of the law. And then he goes on to slam the parole thing, which I'll get to. And he hypothesized this Andrew McCarthy that the court ruled the way it did, I mean, the, the five justices who went uh, in favor of Biden because it's a political issue, not a judiciary issue. So essentially they're staying out of it and saying the courts don't belong in this, you know, in this fight. And they don't agree that Biden should be cutting the razor wire, but to, to allow in illegals, but they're just not getting involved, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but it's still disgraceful to me. It doesn't excuse it. And I'm very disappointed. Amy Coney Barrett, you're talking about millions of illegals. You're talking about an invasion. We're not talking about like a run of the mill situation. All right. So, Oh, the uh, parole. Where did my notes go on parole? Just to explain this parole. Uh, here we go. One of the big issues um, when well, I, I was going to talk about parole in the discussion about um, McConnell and the border deal, Senate border package discussion, which is now dead. The secret deal that was cut with the Democrats and, and Mitch McConnell and a few moderate Republicans. So let's talk about that. The bipartisan border deal is dead. Um and like I said, the bipartisan deals are always in that direction where you have all the Democrats and a few uh, leftist Republicans. Now, McConnell told a meeting of Senate Republicans Wednesday, the politics of the border has flipped. Um, so therefore, we can no longer follow through. We can no longer support this deal. The politics have flipped. McConnell referred to Donald Trump as the nominee and noted that Trump wants to run his campaign centered on immigration. And he said, we don't want to do anything to undermine him. I mean, so that is true. There is a lot of, you know, McConnell blaming Trump and Trump did put a lot of pressure, rightfully so, because this deal is so bad. This deal, we told you about the details last time. It's so, so, so incredibly bad. And it just literally gives Biden the legal right to do what he's already doing, which is allow millions of, of, of invasion, of invaders, of illegals to invade. So that's all this would do. All this would do is would help Biden and and more than that, and it would legalize it. But more than that, it would basically set up the Republicans to take the blame for the border mess because this would not pass the House. So it was a disgrace on every level. And McConnell blaming Trump. The politics have changed. Uh, what he really means is, well, people found out that I was going to cut this incredibly bad deal and it was going to just set up Biden for a victory. So this would never pass the House. And McConnell, for whatever reason, inexplicable to me. He, I guess he doesn't want to get the blame. He wants to pass the buck. So the plan was it would pass the Senate. McConnell looks like he accomplished something on the border. Then it would it would obviously be dead on arrival in the House because House Republicans would never go for it. And, and, and Mike Johnson vowed to kill this this deal. And then they could blame those House Republicans, those pesky House conservatives. That would be the strategy. It's all political. And it would give Biden and the Democrats a talking point here to blame the Republicans for the border crisis. It's a disgrace. Thankfully, it has been shut down. Now, one of the big issues, like I said, is parole. Biden is granting parole to millions of illegals. Parole is, according to New York Times, parole is a status. It's a loophole. It allows migrants without visas to live and work in the U.S. temporarily. It's a fake loophole. That part is not the Times. That part is me. And Biden has used that to allow hundreds of thousands, millions of illegals to stay. Here's a quote from the Times. To many Democrats, parole is a crucial tool that allows the administration to treat desperate migrants humanely, which must be preserved, particularly for vulnerable populations fleeing failing states and fleeing war. Parole is a stopgap measure for migrants without legal status. That's the Times. Don't you love how, you know, they they, they exploit these stopgap measures? Everything bad is always a stopgap measure that they use. Well, we have no choice. We're using a stopgap measure. It's it, it, It's outrageous. 
Back to the Times, parole authority, which has existed since the 1950s, allows the government to extend migrants a special status to remain in the United States. It was designed to be used only in cases of humanitarian need or if there was a public benefit to allowing a migrant into the country. But administrations have interpreted the guidance in different ways, sometimes ushering in whole groups of migrants under that authority. The Biden administration paroled roughly a million migrants under a number of programs geared toward helping vulnerable groups, such as Ukrainian refugees, refugees from the Taliban, as well as migrants from economically devastated countries like Haiti, Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. A a million, a million migrants, uh, roughly, rough estimate. It's, 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 I have no words. There are no words. And by the way, this deal that McConnell was uh, floating with Schumer, the the secret deal, it would have done nothing about parole. That's one of the things that got the Republicans so outraged is that Biden is exploiting parole to allow in millions. They can't even use asylum seeking for this. So they allow parole, I guess, to give them work permits or whatever the technical issues are. But um, a couple of things I want to mention. Number one, you know, there's a theory out there that there's perhaps tens of thousands of jihadis, tens of thousands of Muslim terrorists uh, who have snuck into the country. They're exploiting the border crisis and they're sitting. One, one thing we learned from the Hamas terror attack is that they are they are patient. We saw that with bin Laden, with 9-11. They are very patient, these, these jihadi terrorists. So it's very, very frightening, the notion that they might be sneaking into the United States and sitting right now and waiting in the wings, waiting and planning and plotting. And who knows when something could happen. So and the numbers could be staggering numbers. They exploit these types of crises, and you see the Taliban, you know, that sort of thing. Another thing, I, you know, I got an email from a listener who pointed out, we talked about how part of this deal involved green cards, and the question was, an increase in green cards, the question is, is an increase in green cards a good thing or a bad thing? Because green cards usually is supposed to allow legal immigration. Legal immigration is good. They come here, they work, they contribute, you can be, you know, you can, you can uh, be discreet in terms of who you allow in, so green cards permanent residency status, I am very skeptical. I, I, I think that probably green cards, if anything, they're going to be issued to the illegals who are already here who have snuck in. That's what, that, that would be my guess. Once they have the, the green cards, they're going to say, well, we have all these illegals here. Why would you bring new people in legally when we have all these people in illegally? That's what I think would be done with it. But I may be wrong. And if I'm wrong, it is a good point by the listener that perhaps green cards, in, increasing green cards is not a bad thing, except maybe now's not the time. When you have millions coming in illegally, maybe solve that first. All right, Jamal Bauman, squad member Jamal Bauman, Democrat House member, was lying when he claimed that, that he pulled that fire alarm because he was late for a, late for the vote, late for that vote that was going to avert a shutdown of the government. This is unbelievable. No shock here. Bombshell report released by in federal investigators, by the way, the Office of Congressional Ethics conducted an investigation, and Jamal Bauman, he was lying. He said, I pulled that fire alarm because I was rushing and the door was locked and I needed to make a vote. Uh, yeah, very often when the door is locked, you pull a fire alarm and cause the building to evacuate because that's going to somehow open the door. The explanation given by Bauman, what a disgrace, activating a fire alarm in a congressional building in September. Remember, there was no emergency, and he pulled the fire alarm, and it caused an evacuation and caused mass panic and chaos. And uh, he did it, of course, as we know, to avert. He, you know, he they would do, they were holding the vote. McCarthy had this deal, and there were just hours before a shutdown. And McCarthy eventually, by the way, was vacated. It was actually ousted from being the speaker f- because of that vote. But either way, Bauman did it because he wanted to prevent the vote so that they would have a shutdown. Um, the squad member Bauman, he said, uh, "Well, I did it because I was r- rushing to a vote." Well, now investigators have determined. He already they they looked at his own text messages and he knew that the vote, the vote at that point 
was not happening. Okay, that they were going to have a vote, older vote, and he thought, and so so he claimed, well, I was going to the vote. The vote was later, but they canceled the vote at that point. They did have a vote later, but they canceled the vote, and they saw in his own text messages he was actually heading to an emergency Democrat caucus meeting, not to cast a vote. So he's busted. He's exposed. They debunked his claim. He lied. Um, the text messages demonstrate Bauman already was aware the, that 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 um, he needed to attend this emergency meeting. And his statement that he was heading to a vote has been deemed not credible and misleading. Meanwhile, there's a growing movement to pay reparations to blacks over slavery. And that is being led by Jamal Bauman. Jamal Bauman, the fire alarm puller, uh, he wants $14 trillion in reparations. $14 trillion. And by the way, I'm, I'm hearing enough about reparations at this point. Kathy Hochul wants it. San Francisco's been pushing for it. It's, I think it's going to happen. Gavin Newsom, I think reparations actually may happen. And it's like, oh, how could that be? We've always like just laughed it off. But we, you know, we, we've, we've dismissed a lot of these things, which end up happening. So here's what Jamal Bauman says. He says the federal government should acknowledge its responsibility for slavery and its enduring consequences. And here's what he said. He's justifying it with COVID. And this is what they always do is they say, oh, look how much the government spent on this program. So now let's spend it on our program, too. He says the space race and COVID. And he's right. Trillions were spent on COVID. Trillions were spent on the space race. But that's a, that's even more reason to not spend the money now. That, But that they use as justification. Let's spend even more money. Oh, we spent all this money. We wasted it. Let's waste even more money. It's insanity. During the height of COVID, Bauman emphasized the government's investment. Don't you love it? Reparations are an investment. The investment in the American people played a crucial role in sustaining the economy. He says, do the same with reparations. We have a moral and legal, uh, legal obligation. The proposed measure outlines $14 million in reparations aimed at supporting the descendants of enslaved blacks and those of African descent. The bill addresses longstanding concerns related to racial disparities in housing, mass incarceration, education, and aims to close the racial wealth gap between blacks and whites. To contextualize, contextualize the $14 trillion proposal, meaning to justify it, he noted the federal government spent $7 trillion in 2020, constituting 28% of the nation's uh, economy. And again, a lot of that money was used for COVID relief. At least it was allegedly used for COVID relief. That did not happen. The bills refer to the bill, the, the bill or the proposal refers to scholars' estimates that the U.S. gained over 222 trillion hours of forced labor during the slavery era. It's going to happen. It's like student loan forgiveness. It's like Medicaid for illegals. They talk about it, talk about it long enough, and then eventually happens. All right, we got to stop. There's a petition uh, that for SNAP applicants to not have to have an interview because it's interview it's inconvenient for them to have to be interviewed before they get approved for food stamps. So there's a petition from student and legal advocacy groups. I guess we'll get through this. This will be our last story. Petitioning the U.S. Department of Agriculture to eliminate the interview requirement for SNAP applicants. That means food stamp applicants. Because they don't like it, it's inconvenient. The groups say the interview requirement is burdensome and prevents some people who qualify from receiving it. Well, there's a reason. Yeah, because they interview you to see if you actually qualify. So the Agriculture Department is reviewing the proposal. You can't make this stuff up. 42 million Americans currently receive the benefits, an average of $212 per person. Um, within 30 days of an application, a state agency must complete a, a, an official interview. Aviana Kimani, a 24-year-old student at West Los Angeles College, she got SNAP benefits for a year and a half, and then she left the program. Part of the reason she left is because she she had difficulty in scheduling the interview to recertify her benefits. She said the process of going to the welfare office to renew her eligibility during its hours was challenging because she has work and school obligations. Well, don't you feel so bad for her? She was moving, and everything was paper-based, 
So she needed. So that was inconvenient. And by the way, it's absurd. The government, these government is paper based. A lot of these programs, which is nuts in this day and age. But then she had to do an in-person interview and she said, quote, you don't get to pick the time it's given to you. And it's during the day. And if you go to work or school, then it could be inconvenient. If you go to work or school, maybe you don't need the SNAP benefits and maybe they, they should rethink them and they're giving them out to too many people. You don't know how long the call is going to be, how long the call is going to be. It's not even in person. I don't know. That's the quote here. If I didn't have to go through the screening process, I would definitely have my benefits for longer. But otherwise, you get knocked off. Well, you know, that is very, I mean, my sympathy, you know, my compassion for her. She can't make the, it's like, well, what does she do when she has to get somewhere for an appointment? Like, like what does she do when she needs to get her teeth cleaned? That, that usually happens during daytime hours. A lot of inconvenient things. You want the food stamp benefits. You want the government handouts. But, like, I cannot manage to get away for two hours to do a government interview. But give me the benefits anyway. We have a petition now. Like, the only thing you need to do to earn this stuff is be poor. You don't even have to be poor because people get it and they're not poor. Be poor and show up for an interview and fill out an application. Fill out some forms. Like, that's the barrier here. And no, that's that's too hard for me. So let's just give her out the free money without without the difficulty and the burden and the challenge of scheduling an interview during uh, during business hours. Sorry. Sorry for the inconvenience. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.